Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. Uh, Bud, gonna have a uh, an enjoyable, comfortable review of a uh, a win on Saturday, a experience that this fan base has not had all that frequently. Uh, certainly a pleasurable sensation to enter a fourth quarter of a game and not be on pins and needles and convince yourself that everything's about to fall apart. So uh, we'll give Syracuse a look back, try to figure out what we can take from this game, exactly how bad an opponent uh, that uh, Florida State faced on Saturday and what can be extrapolated for the rest of the season. As always, we'll thank our friends in New Iberia, Louisiana, Louisiana Hot Sauce, three simple ingredients, one fantastic product, the title sponsor of the Nolcast, and uh, people that we're ever so be able and people that we are ever so fortunate to be able to authentically endorse. So with that, Bud, let's uh, let's talk about a, a significant win for Florida. Uh, a significant win as much as you can have one when you're three and four and desperately trying to get back to 500 for Florida State. Indeed, let's do that. A, a win that uh, I didn't have a whole lot to say about because I wanted to go back and watch it more uh, following the game uh, on, on Saturday, but an important win for Willie Taggart. Because not only, I mean, look, he was coming off a, a two-game losing streak, including you know an embarrassing coaching performance against Wake Forest and an embarrassing overall performance, although not unexpected in either game uh, against Clemson. And not only does Florida State go out there and get the win, but they get the win in, in dominating fashion. I think that's that's an important thing to. I mean, unless you're just kind of a a, a, a real psycho, you're probably not yelling. F you at Coach Taggart as he walks off the field after they win a comfortable game by 18 in which they they had a lead by, what, 21, 24, something like that, entering the fourth quarter. It was garbage time. You know, the game was over, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, certainly something that the coaching staff is going to be happy about and, uh, and a positive vibe there in that locker room following the game. Uh, one thing we, we try to do basically every week, as long as I can remember to do it, or if you remind me to do it, is uh, is to take and look if this team is actually better than last year's team. And the way we do that, we go to some of the advanced metrics uh, like the SP Plus system, which is what, you know, what my friend Bill Connolly uh, made. And to do that, uh, I, I took a look at last year's and this year's and converted it to point spreads. And uh, indeed, this year's team, uh, which rates 47th as of this broadcasting, last year's was 71st, uh, would be about three and a half points better on a neutral field. So, you know, well, about 25 spots better in the ratings and about three and a half points better if you were to line them up on a neutral field. Um, I think that's that's probably fair. I would have thought this team was maybe four, four and a half points better on a neutral than last year's. Of course, last year's defense was good. Uh, last year's offense was terrible. This year's offense uh, is still slightly better than the offense, but I got or than the defense. I got to tell you, man, the defense is creeping up on this offense this year. Have you seen this? 46th for the offense and 62nd for the defense. I, I know last week we kind of hinted at this, that it was possible uh, that this could happen. But I'm, but now it, it looks like it's real possible that it could happen. So wonder what both uh, Florida State's record and the defense's uh, overall statistics would look like had perhaps they had a better showing in the first two games of the year. But uh, that is water under the bridge at uh, this point. So it's good to check in, kind of have a benchmark as to where uh, year two looks like compared to year one. But uh, nice nice win in the overall scheme of things, a win for a coaching staff that uh, very much desperately needed one, win for a fan base that – 
uh, got to experience a Saturday without um, going through the uh, rinse repeat cycle that is the anxiety that's tied to Florida State going up in games and then uh, seemingly turning into some kind of self-destructive machine. Uh, but a real big win for Florida State's bowl chances overall uh, and a, really a must-have win uh, if you wanted to look at uh, the ability to go to a bowl game and gives uh, – we'll reference the same gentleman that you just mentioned a second ago. I think Bill Connolly has Florida State somewhere around, what, a 72 73% chance of going bowling at this point. So – uh, another point of uh, uh, of just matter as to what we will take away from Saturday. I think those are entirely fair percentages. Um, yeah, I, I think he's got it around there as far as I know. So another good sign there. Um, you know, this team, I don't know how many wins better it will finish than last year. Got to keep in mind, last year's team went 5-7. and seven, And it's weird to say this, but they were actually lucky to go 5-7, and seven, you know. Uh, so just just something to think about. Uh, and now I think we should t- get some takeaways from the Syracuse game, if, if, if possible. I, I went back and watched this game in full today, and I, I got to tell you, there was a lot more to take away on the rewatch th- than I got uh, from watching it live. And we had a lot of feedback saying that uh, I was too harsh on Alex Hornerbrook. So when we get to that point, I will actually tell you that I went back today and rewatched every one of his passing plays. Uh, to to see if I really was too harsh or not. I think maybe in some areas, yes. In some areas, eh, maybe not harsh enough. So where do you want to start here? Uh, we can do a quick box score, advanced box score rundown if you want. Um, explosiveness was a big edge for Florida State, uh, about twice as explosive before garbage time uh, than were the Syracuse Orange, so that was really big. Uh, success rate for the game, I mean, 49% for FSU, 26% for Syracuse. That, that's really good. When, when only about a quarter of Syracuse's plays are grading out as successful, uh, I would say that is very encouraging for the defense. 49% for Florida State is also a positive performance. It's not otherworldly. Obviously, most of that edge uh, was was driven by the defense, but still nice to see, in, in my opinion, that, that they were able to do that. Uh, turnovers, nothing for either side. And uh, at least the opponent did not muff any punts that Florida State failed to recover this week. That's encouraging, right? (laughs) And then uh, as far as points, points when they actually crossed the 40-yard line, he got a first down, which is what Bill defines as an opportunity. So points for opportunity. Florida State with the 5. 5-0 is what we want to see. Love numbers that start with 5 there. Uh, And Syracuse with the 3.4. So pretty happy about that overall. Hard to ask for for much more out of this team, out of that game, and uh, about the only category they really lost was uh, was the average field position. Syracuse before garbage time had about a four yard field position edge, which uh, was over the course of twelve drives. This game actually was pl- actually played out slower uh, than I thought it would, um, with uh, with as much rushing success as Florida State was able to find in this game. So I think uh, we'll have to put this through the filter, pretty much all of the discussion tonight. Syracuse is just a very poor football team who, uh, at least at this point in the year, is a very poor football team who didn't appear to bring anything uh, representing their you know A game uh, at all. And, and we talked in the preview about maybe some turmoil on the offensive side of the ball. I, I had no idea the 
their right tackle was about to quit shortly after the recording, but uh, <laughs> it was a it was a, a disjointed unit, and, uh, and probably even you know we mentioned that we thought they might be pretty flat, and I, I think they were even worse than than that of what we could have predicted. They they really were. I, I was uh, I, I was encouraged by how Florida State played, um, but I'm not blind to it. Right? I, I we, we do need to address that some of this was not really about. You know, about Florida State's play, it was also about just how bad uh, Syracuse was playing. Yeah, so yeah, interesting so there for sure. We'll acknowledge that. We'll look at, uh, at both sides of the ball and and have that in the back of our minds. But just something I wanted to say, stream of conscious. So uh, let's get back to the uh, the quarterback discussion and and just kind of offensive uh, skill players in general. Uh, Cam had one of the best days that you could ever ask for. Uh, but let's start the conversation with Hornerbrook. You said that uh, you're going to go back, have a little bit of a, a deeper dive there as to his performance and what exactly were your takeaways from a, a second and third watch of his performance? Yeah, so um, I went back and looked at this, and I, I literally charted every single throw that he made. And I looked at it, and I broke it down in this way. Uh, behind the line of scrimmage, okay, Within four yards of the line of scrimmage, five to nine yards, 10 to 19 yards, and 20 plus. To me, that just made sense. I think all those throws are, are a little bit different. Um, most of your screens are going to be thrown behind the line of scrimmage. A lot of your RPO throws are going to be thrown, uh, you know, kind of in that one to four yard range. Uh, some of them are in the five to nine yard range. Uh, and then you have your your deeper shots, right? Your your twenty plus and, and some of your your ten plus. So I'll I'll go ahead and start with the good, and then and then we'll get to some of the bad, and we'll just be able to discuss it here uh, if if you'd like. So throws behind the line of scrimmage. Alex Hornerbrook was tremendous on these throws, and I I do have the trick play pulled out of here, by the way. So the trick play, which was he was one of one on the trick play for fifty four yards, and I graded that as successful. Um, I took that out because that's not really a repeatable play, right? That that's a a crazy trick play that 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 worked. So, behind the line of scrimmage, he was 7 for 7. That was the first category. I looked at how many of those throws were on target, just by my estimation on target. Now, I was trying to be pretty nice with these. I gave him a 100% grade. 100% of throws were on target that were behind the line of scrimmage. Nothing that anybody had to like totally stop and, and do a dive backwards for, anything like that. Uh, yards per attempt, he had eight yards per attempt on these, so that was that was very nice uh, for him. That's a tremendous yards per attempt. Uh, 57% success rate. That's really, really good, actually, for balls thrown behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, so Alex Hornerbrook on throwing balls behind the line of scrimmage. Very good, Ingram. In fact, that was his best category. Oh, I'm actually seeing Ingram's cat on our, our Skype screen. We, we, we talked to each other via Skype and then record off that. Hey, kitty. Uh, all right. So then, one to four uh, yards. So one to four yards. And this obviously doesn't include at zero. I, I, those are you know at or behind the line of scrimmage in the first category. He was two of five on these. Uh, now, as far as on-target throws, I had to make an adjustment here. I went ahead and gave Alex credit for a ball that I think – he threw appropriately if Gabe Neighbor stops on, on his blitz adjustment, which I'm pretty sure he was supposed to do here. So I went ahead and gave him some leeway uh, and gave him a 60% on target grade here. So even though he only completed two of five, I think he threw three balls well 
and two balls, uh, you know, poorly in this range. Yards per attempt, two and a half yards per attempt. That's not going to beat anybody. Um, and then success rate, forty uh, percent. Obviously, two of five. It, it it could have been better if if neighbors had run uh, the cor- the correct side adjustment for the blitz, which which I, I'm pretty sure he did not do there. I'm not going to guarantee that, but that's that's kind of what I think happened. All right, uh, then five of nine or five to nine yards. So and these are passes in the air. It's not how long not how long the play was. It's the distance in the air from the line of scrimmage that the ball traveled. And that's important here. Uh, he was four of six as far as completions there. 83% of his throws were on target. So, you know, five of six, pretty solid there. Yards per attempt, uh, I had him at 6.3, which is not good, but it, it's whatever. A lot of that was basically guys just didn't bust out after catching these. A lot of these routes were were the comeback routes that Florida State threw off RPO to the sideline. I think Terry had a comebacker. Uh, I know Gavin had one. I think uh, I think Treshawn might have had one, Harrison. So that, 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 that kind of makes sense as far as these type of routes that weren't really busting out for anything. Uh, 66% success rate on these, that's tremendous. Uh, and one was actually called back by penalty, but it was a uh, like a formation motion penalty. It didn't really affect the play, uh, and so I didn't want to dock Alex for something that was not his fault, right? Now, all that's pretty damn good, man. Like, I, I, I got to say here, that's on those throws that don't go 10 yards in the air. I mean, you're looking at, what, like, God, a, a well over, over 50% success rate, which is great, you know? Now let's talk about the ones that do go over 10 yards in the air. Between 10 and 19 yards in the air, he had one pass that I charted. He was one for one. That's pretty great. His average yards per attempt there was 19, man. Pretty good. And uh, his on-target throw percentage was zero. DJ Matthews had to run and dive for an absolute duck that Hornerbrook almost threw out of bounds to a guy who was just wide open. And I do think if you get DJ the ball there in space, even remotely close to his body so he doesn't have to make a Superman catch, DJ might score because he's very, very difficult to, <laughs> to, to tackle you know, in, in the open field like that. Uh, success rate was 100%, but that's the, on target throw percentage there in that range, zero. Not a, not, not a threat for, from Hornerbrook there. Now let's move to the 20-plus because sample set of one, I'm not really in love with. We're, we're all about having an appropriate sample set to evaluate here. And uh, and, and this is, not going to lie, this this has me legitimately concerned. And I know we talked pre-show. And I think we're both kind of scared of these. Balls, balls that travel 20 yards in the air from the line of scrimmage. Two of seven on these. His on-target percentage... I gave him credit for one that wasn't actually on target because I, I, I think he kind of got pushed back into on the throw. So I gave him half credit for it. I, I can't assume the ball was going to get there good, but I, I'm not going to assume that it wasn't, uh, even though the evidence probably says that I should assume that it was not going to get there on target. So I gave him a two, uh, 21% on target rate. 21%, man, on target. Like I'm not talking about 21% dropping in the breadbasket. I'm talking about 21% like anywhere near the dude not having to completely break break stride, spin around, and, and, and basically play defensive back instead of playing receiver. Yards per attempt, 9.14. That's pretty damn good, actually. 
Now it's deep shot, so you would think it would be a lot higher. Uh, they hit two. They hit two completions on these, and both of them were really difficult catches that receivers had to make. And they both both of them turned touchdowns into just first downs. Mm-hmm. Right. Twenty nine percent success rate here. Two of seven. So, on balls that traveled at least ten yards in the air. Alex made one quality throw out of eight passes. I mean, one of eight. And I'm not talking about balls that had to go 40 yards. I mean, we're talking about balls that just went 10 yards in the air or more. Guys, I went back and reviewed this, and I I know I got a lot of negative feedback in the instant reaction for saying that I thought he didn't play very well. But I was wrong. In some cases, like the balls behind the line of scrimmage, he played pretty well. The balls that required any sort of downfield throw, he was terrible. James Blackman was better against Wake Forest, even though the numbers won't show it because the receiver drops, than Hornerbrook was against Syracuse as far as downfield throws. In fact, Ingram, I'll, I'll posit this. If the receivers caught the ball for James against, like against Wake like they did for Alex against Syracuse, Alex isn't starting against Syracuse. Hmm. Because yeah. we don't have a quarterback controversy because then we're going to have explosive plays down the field from Blackman. Right. But they didn't. And I think there's other elements to talk about here, too. My final point, and I don't think this is something that is entirely fair, so I'll present it in both ways. But if you do take out the 54-yard trick play, which is not – I mean, first of all, it's basically a, a screen. So it's not a, a like he had to throw an accurate deep ball off a trick play. I mean, he threw the ball. It went one and a half yards past the line of scrimmage. <laughs> right. If you take that out, then he's 14 of 25 for a buck 42. That's 5.68 per attempt. That's uh, that's not going to get it done against any decent defense for the most part. It's just a further reminder that they're, you know, for these pieces of the fan base that find themselves so polarized as to what the best quarterback option is, there's just not a great one there. Uh, Hornerbrook is exceptionally limited. I say this uh, – with little hyperbole at all, I, I honestly think I may be able to throw a football better than Florida State's quarterback, which is a statement that I don't think I've ever been able to make in my life and probably will never be able to again, at least hopefully. Is he hurt? Like, can we can we speculate about this? Because, like, I don't think he was that weak-armed at Wisconsin. These balls are just nowhere close to where they need to be. Yeah, they're coming we're not, like 10 yards short of target. No, and, and they're anything past uh, – Anything that travels more than about 18 yards in the air is just its just a dead ball. So I wonder if maybe there's an injury there. Uh, obviously, he's always had a limited arm. He's not somebody that uh, is ever going to wow you. But I don't – it just – the RPMs on his throws are tough to pair <laughs> with, uh, with that of somebody that's playing at Florida State. So – Maybe he's hurt. Maybe there's a little bit more there. I think uh, if you are going to have any kind of success stretching the field with Hornerbrook, uh, he has to do a better job of anticipatory throws. And uh, he's got to do a better job just making a decision and and either throwing uh, a post when it's available, um, trying to identify safeties and and pick pockets on the field that he can throw the ball into. Uh, I just – think that at this point the sample size is large enough that uh, the concerns about his arm are 
have only become more prominent as we've gone through the season. So uh, there is no great option. You have two pretty flawed uh, options available. And maybe the third option is uh, is something that we saw on Saturday and we'll continue to talk about. But when you're just looking at Hornibrook versus, uh, versus Blackman at this point, mm, some, you know, 6-1, half dozen the other. James, you at least have to respect the deep ball. Uh, but James has been wildly uh, erratic when it comes to throwing the the deep ball this year. People, um, and I'll include myself in this group, uh, were wrong to tell you that that was going to be one of Blackman's strengths. Uh, it has not. It's been, he's failed to throw people into space. He's failed to uh, throw people um, that have, you know, wide open coverage running down sidelines. Um, the idea that, that Blackman is going to do a whole lot different than Hornerbrook just because he can throw the deep ball is true and that a defense is going to have to respect it, but it certainly hasn't translated into completions at all. I completely agree with you on that. And and you weren't wrong to assume that considering what he did in 2017 and then also you know the, the balls that he threw last year when he did get to play. But James has not been on target uh, that much down the field, and there are areas in which Hornerbrook definitely operates better. Uh, there, there's no doubt in my mind that Kendall Bryles feels a greater level of comfort uh, with, with James running his offense. Um, I People, at least in the comment section and the emails we get and, and the tweets, you know, say the offense runs better under Hornerbrook. The offense looks smoother. I, I think those are two different things, right? The offense does look smoother, I think, because Hornerbrook feels like he's more in control. I don't know that it necessarily runs better. He's definitely had a chance to play probably three of the four worst teams on the schedule, uh, you know, and I think if you had flipped – the opponents, for instance, if if Hornerberg had, had to play Boise's defense, Virginia's defense, and you know more of Clemson's defense, then uh, I, I don't know if some of these conversations are the same. But I do think it matters who the offensive coordinator wants to play, and I, I do not want people to think that I'm out here screaming, you know, for for James Blackman to be playing over Hornerberg. I just in watching this, uh, neither of these guys are playing well um, overall. Um, I like that the ball comes out on time for the most part on a lot of the RPOs and screens with Hornerbrook, and he does throw them for the most part in stride, which is a real positive in my mind because this offense has a lot of that. Uh, and if the receivers are going to block like they did on Saturday as opposed to how they did last Saturday against Wake, then that's a real important part of this offense. And you absolutely have to make opponents respect that if you're going to play Horner because, I mean, God, I'm pretty sure – very soon they will not be respecting the deep ball that much. Although, if you're an opposing coach watching on film, you're saying, damn, Florida State roasted these Syracuse DBs on, on these vertical routes, and this game could have been you know, 55-17 very easily if, if Hornerberg could hit just even a one or, or two in stride. Um, although he did hit Harrison in stride, and Harrison just did not catch the ball, so I should probably note that. Bud will pause ever so shortly to remind people of our friends at Madison Social. Uh, as we've mentioned the past couple of weeks, uh, always want to remind people that they're uh, the best possible partners when it comes to uh, hosting or catering an office event or just an event of any size. Work directly with Matt Thompson, uh, Matt at ForTheTableHospitality.com. Um, and if you're not in a situation to uh, engage in their catering side uh, this weekend, it is prime Madison social slash township weather. And by that, I mean uh, going out, being on the deck, 
watching the <laughs> watching all the scenery, whether that be uh, the leaves changing colors or uh, uh, kind of boot season as it comes into play here. Looking at temperatures high on Saturday of 70, low of 47. Uh, just perfect football weather. Uh, not a better place in Tallahassee to be pregame than uh, Madso or Township. And as always, uh, please do keep them in your plans as you prepare for uh, any home or any football weekend, uh, but particularly Miami. Let me ask you this, Bud. Circling back to what you just said, uh, let's let's tie in the most talented player on the field, and not necessarily uh, with him taking snaps. Although we'll definitely have this conversation. Uh, Whose whose play style do you think gives you the best opportunity to get the most out of Cam Akers in this offense? So it's interesting because it, it it's clearly going to be um, the guy who they respect as far as being able to push the ball deep and actually complete the deep ball. So neither guy has completed the deep balls at a high rate. Uh, I think Hornerbrook's deep balls, and, and I don't I don't just mean like arm strength, ability to throw the ball on a rope. I just mean in this case, and I'm not a big arm strength guy at all typically. I think that's one of the most overrated traits that quarterbacks have personally. And when, whenever I get a coach, a high school coach, telling me how big this kid's arm is, I'm like, all right. But, I mean, that's uh, there's so many kids who can throw the ball hard. Can you put the ball on target? With one exception, and that's at the real extreme margins. And I think that we are in some ways dealing with this here. Uh, if either team uh, is no longer able to to make opponents respect the deep ball, then uh, – excuse me, if, if neither guy is, then I don't know if there is really a good option there. Neither are particularly great, great at, at keeping on the read option, which is not RPO, by the way. We, we still have people doing this. RPO is run pass option. It's handoff or throw. It's not run or it's not handoff or run. That would be run run option. That would be read option. Uh, just to let you all know, hopefully more people will pick up on this. So, um, I mean, just overall, um, I, I don't I don't really have a good answer for that. I do think that Hornerbrook has a better grasp of the offense, probably just because I, I think that uh, that Browse prefers him in this offense and I think Browse had his fingerprints more on this game uh, offensively than than did the last one uh, particularly if you look at like some of the substitution patterns and, and some of the tempo stuff so I I don't know I, I in the outline we have here the the second item there the the why run the the cam I want to move that down underneath the uh, the third item there because I do want to talk about some specific throws that, that if if Hornerberg's going to be your guy going forward that he's going to need to make, right? Um, and there's two that, that I really have. The one is the go, uh, just the the straight ball down the field. Kendall Browse is doing a tremendous job of getting dudes wide the hell open deep. And by wide the hell open, I don't mean nobody within 20 yards of them, right? That, that's a coverage bust. I'm talking about guys winning one-on-one matchups on the outside Browse screwing with the eyes of the defensive backs, giving the, these these receivers a, a chance to really stack these DBs and, and get over top of them. They're doing that. The go is a real important route that you got to hit in this offense, and you got to hit it. I mean, you got to make more than one out of eight throws, like on target. I'm not saying you got to you got to complete all those or even half those, but if you give me two or three of those, and maybe you give me one in stride, and Florida State has 98 yards, 75 yard touchdowns in this game that are turned into drops or 30-yard plays. That's a huge loss of potential offense going on. 
The other is the post, right? A lot of times in this game, Syracuse would play some cover two stuff, and there's that rail shot that, uh, that, that, that they don't think Florida State can hit. But Florida State also has an opportunity to hit multiple post shots in this game. And Hornibrook actually talked about this, and, and our, our, our Juan Montalvo at Tomahawk Nation wrote about this today, and I, I highly encourage everybody to go read the film review uh, on Hornibrook, which he titled uh, Scraping Blimps, which I thought was absolutely <laughs> hilarious. But all, all kidding aside. Uh, um, hats off, Juan. Good, well done. Fantastic. He, he pointed out, he said, you know, like, Hornberg actually talked about because he doesn't have a big arm. This was an, an interview, I believe, when he was at Wisconsin, how he has to throw the ball with anticipation. And yes, that's true. So do it. Uh, that that's an important thing to do here. And if you can't hit the rail shot and you can't hit the post, post being in the middle of the field, right? Everybody knows what a post is, and the rail shot being the ball over the corner, but enough to the sideline to where the safety can't get over there. Several of those happen in, in this game. It's you know it's basically a, a go that you got to throw a little bit flatter here. Um, if you can't hit either of those, then teams are just going to sit and cover two on you because that's kind of where you're going to where you're going to bust up a cover two defense. And indeed, Syracuse ran that sometimes. I think better defenses actually have even more answers that they could run against you. Probably some cover one rat type stuff and some other combo coverages, which is why I I do have some concerns that some of the stuff in this game was fool's gold, but. Hornerberg talked about he seems to know that he has to throw the, throw the post with anticipation, and yet in this game, uh, I, I don't think he ever did. He had several opportunities to do so and, and failed to do it. And that's, that's certainly going to be a problem going forward if that doesn't get fixed. And I don't want to focus just solely on quarterback, but if he's going to be the guy, which it kind of seems like it is, I would think, uh, at, at this point, I, I can't imagine starting Blackman after Hornerberg led you to a victory and I'm not a QB wins guy, but I, I think I think you're going to give Hornerbrook a shot because he didn't, you know, commit any turnovers and um, generally knew what he was doing, even if he didn't do it well. But man, if they uh, if he just keeps not threatening the defense deep and they just creep up and start to take everything away, th- then you may need to make some kind of change. We'll see. Hopefully, he just is able to hit some deep shots on these guys who Browse has very open and. Uh, and everything turns out fine. We'll see. Uh, a lot to a lot to look at, and um, no <laughs> healthier transition could be made than than us having some conversation about uh, Cam being the quarterback and and what we saw from this. Something that uh, we've talked a long time that if the original uh, implic or the original wild Cam against Virginia Tech was not as much of a uh, massive failure as it was. It's something that you would have seen a lot last year uh, in general, but this was a little bit different just with the idea of him uh, taking snaps and, and showing off a, showing off a pretty formidable arm that a, a former high school quarterback still has. So uh, incredible day overall for makers, but I think uh, us devoting a couple minutes to how much we really see this uh, moving forward, maybe the, maybe the most successful use of time rather than recapping a a running back who uh who's shown us throughout the course of his career that he can break tackles runs hard and ended up almost breaking the uh, school record for touchdowns on a day so this is something that's interesting a lot of people tell us how much better the offense runs when hornerbrook's in there uh no the, what you guys meant to say was the offense runs better when acres plays quarterback 
three of the five touchdown drives involved the wild cam, which um, Willie Taggart today said he calls QB3. I disagree. I believe even Cam's mom has called this wild cam. Wild cam seems to work real well. Let's go with wild cam on this. Uh, Ingram, you make such a great point about how, you know, first impressions are everything and, and coaches under a lot of pressure. And so I do think that public pressure last year, which is the absolute disaster of how that package was rolled out initially, probably led to them shelving it some. And right now is a perfect time to bring it back. I mean, absolutely a perfect time uh, for a couple reasons. Number one, I think you personally do want to see how it's going to look in a game. And it looked great. Uh, it, it, it's for a lot of reasons I'll get into. Number two, and I, I want to say this before I forget, uh, you make Miami spend a lot of their practice time defending this, right? And I don't think Florida State's offense is any great shakes right now. But let's take a look at Miami's schedule here and see the, the offenses. And look, Miami is legitimately a very good defense. They're 15th in the nation in defense. This will be the only elite unit on the field, right? It's Miami's Miami's defense, then Florida State's offense, and Florida State's defense, then my then uh, uh, then Miami's offense. But if you look at the offenses they faced recently, uh, Pitt is outside the top 100 in offense. Georgia Tech, I'm pretty sure, is uh, yeah, they're 110th in offense. Virginia, Virginia is I looked this up today, 96th in offense, and Virginia Tech is uh, where are they at here? They had that huge shootout with uh, with North Carolina. Virginia Tech is 64th in offense. So Florida State's going to be the best offense that Miami has seen in about a month. And in terms of the last three weeks, uh, in I mean, by a whole lot. And it's a very unique offense, what, what, what Kendall Browse runs. It's not that that Willie T- or that uh, that Manny Diaz has never seen it before, but it's 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 still pretty unique. And in this case, uh, now you're going to take this wrinkle of the best running back in the conference, in my opinion, who can throw a little bit, running a lot of this Wildcat stuff. Th- this uh, this works really well. I, I I like this. It also, we know Florida State's offensive line is not very physical. It's not very talented physically, uh, and it's not that experienced. And, you know, Randy Clements is doing a better job of getting them to play together and make fewer mental mistakes. But this helps with your angles, right? Like this is true read option stuff where both the guys can really, really do well keeping it or giving it, right? And I'm talking about, about LeBourne and Akers. This is like old single wing stuff. And there's a cool little video on uh, uh, on on YouTube. If you want to pull this up, and I'm kind of surprised Ingram here, so we don't need to pull it up during the broadcast, but Google – Sean Payton suspension, Bill Parcells single wing advice. So Sean Payton, who was Bill Parcells' offensive coordinator, I believe, and then he won a Super Bowl coach in the Saints and blah blah blah. When he was suspended for was it Bounty Gate, I think it was for the Saints. Remember that whole thing where they had the mm-hmm. he got suspended for oh, a year. Yeah. Greg Williams and yeah, yeah. So he coached his son's little league team, and of course he has like all these NFL coaches he can talk to about schemes, and he's like the one that really messed us up was this single wing because nobody's really run this since like the 40s you know for the most part it's also some stuff that urban meyer actually did uh, right. at florida was, when they had tebow exactly what i was about to say yeah this is a bitch to defend and you're gonna have to spend practice time doing so so i really think this is uh, a very smart move to roll this out now i'm sure florida state will have some more wrinkles out of this there's a lot of explosive playmakers that you'd like to see get the ball 
uh, out of this. I mean, I could see Treshawn coming in the backfield and really going with more of a diamond formation. We know they had that available last year with, what was it, Akers, LeBourne, Rasul, and was there somebody else? Did, was it actually four? I'm trying to remember now. Mm, I think Patrick was in the backfield for the Virginia Tech formation originally, but I could be wrong about that. Long time ago. No, I, I think you're right. Um, so that that's kind of a cool thing, but the angles that it gives you on, on the blockers, right? Because it does, it, it's, it's basically a plus one in the run game because you don't have a quarterback just sitting back there not doing anything as far as not blocking it and not carrying with the ball. It does help with your blocking angles and it, and it really allows the offensive line to fire off the ball and be aggressive. It, it, I actually think that this is your best offense right now, and I know people are going to think I'm crazy. But if Hornerbrook's not going to hit these downfield shots and if, if Blackman's not going to be accurate at all uh, and doesn't seem to keep his composure when running the offense, which is something that Hornerbrook does do, it seems. But if neither of those guys are going to be effective hitting explosive plays in the pass game, th- then I'm not – like I know Coach Taggart today joked about how Cam Akers could be the starting quarterback. I- I'm not joking. Like Cam Akers actually might be your best option right now against uh, against one of these really good defenses like a Miami. Certainly a a compelling argument to be made there, and it's a nice what you get on personnel. You're absolutely right. Let you be explosive. Let you get LeBourne and uh, and Akers on the field at the same time. A lot of times. Uh, Gabe Neighbors is involved, who's certainly not going to be your first pick when it comes to you know who you're trying to secure when it comes to football talent. But Neighbors um, is a pretty damn good football player when he's deployed uh, correctly, and he's one of the better uh, blockers and just uh, kind of fundamental. Uh, just just gets it. He's a guy who probably does real well in Oklahoma and drills like that, uh, and somebody that I think Florida State could could use on the field uh, more frequently. So. Uh, a package that uh, I think something you'll only see more of. And, uh, hey, if you only got Acres for four or five more games, then why not get him involved in every facet possible? It's not like you're not getting him touches either way. I mean, he's, got, he's going to get his touches pretty much regardless. So I'm, I'm all about it. I, I think it's a really smart idea to use. And, uh, look, we've seen this coaching staff be creative on offense before and try to f- solve problems. And, Hell, they they try they have a problem to solve every week. It's called their offensive line, uh, and they sometimes they, they're able to solve it pretty good, and sometimes you know not so much. All right, Edgar, I want to tell you about our friends at Resolution Home Loans. Resolution is who I got my home mortgage through. It's the place to go when you call eight four four FSU Loan or visit fsuhomeloans.com. You'll get hooked up with Shannon Young. Shannon is the best loan guy in the business. You know it. I know it. Over forty Nolcast listeners also know it. We know they know it because I send them those T-shirts when they get their loan through Resolution Home Loans. If you're a first responder, they also have the Hamilton for Heroes program right now. All those fees that are associated with the loan are waived. Again, 844-FSU-LOAN or FSUHomeLoans.com. I do think Darius Washington deserves some praise. Man, he just he comes off the ball. He seems like he wants to hit somebody, and that's a good thing. Is he a good player yet? No, he's not. But... Is he a downgrade from Juwan Williams and uh, and Abdul Bello? I I don't believe that he is a downgrade, Edgar. At least not a significant one. Maybe in some areas he is, but not not overall, not not to a large extent. 
No, I don't think he's a downgrade at all. I mean, he's he's physically capable of playing the position to an extent. I'm not projecting him to be a you know second day pick or anything like that. But um, I think you saw a pretty nice jump from you know kind of game one to game two from him. And um, for all the people who used to play like NCAA uh, and would start a you know like a dynasty mode or something like that, and maybe start some horrible team and lead them through the ranks this is basically what Florida State has on the offensive line right now. A bunch of players that are ranked like 61, 62. Uh, it doesn't take a whole lot to have a nice uh, little uptick in players. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you've got to go s- sign the five-star offensive tackle or anything like that. I think Darius Washington's an interesting example of how you just need to address the offensive line uh, with the best pieces possible, try to build them up some, and realize that uh, this turnaround has to take place, and it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to you know, sign a bunch of kids who have uh, five and, and high four stars in their their rivals and two, four, seven profiles. Obviously, that would be preferred, uh, but you've got to address the issue. And really, um, <laughs> when when there's outlets out there, and I think there's flaw, they're very flawed in their evaluations, but when there are outlets out there that are consistently ranking your offense alignment as 838 and 832nd out of 838 offense alignment, you got to make a difference or you got to make a change uh, to move in a different direction. And uh, Washington is a, a limited player, but I think the offense has been better with him in it. And I think he's uh, kind of a, an overall a reflection of the building uh, process that has to take place along the line of scrimmage. I, I completely agree with you there. Um, I'll, I'll also note that uh, Florida State, from a pass game perspective, really protected this offensive line. Um, they had – let me see if I can find it here. Uh, I'm pretty sure all but one throw in this game, as far as before garbage time, was either quick game, max protect, so only three men in the route, right? I, I mean, I, I define that as as max protect with, uh, you know, seven guys pass protecting quarterback makes eight, three guys in the route. Uh, RPO, play action, quick game, or screen. And I would count the uh, little little bump pass uh, behind the line of scrimmage as uh, as you can call it screen or whatever. I know it's not technically a screen, but it's certainly not a not a real pass. Um, that really helps an offensive line. Go ahead and count the times that Darius Washington and Ryan Roberts were asked to drop back and and block Syracuse's excellent pair of defensive ends without without a significant help, either in the form of scheme or in the form of extra blocking blocking help. Tight ends, like you said, neighbors. McKitty, who blocked his butt off in in this game, um, you think those guys got a chewing? By the way, after Syracuse about about uh, the receivers and tight ends about about helping out blocking, I, I'm I'm guessing they did. Go back and watch and 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 show me how many times those dudes were asked to hold up one on one. That was a really nice job of Florida State saying, "Hey, we think that we can handle their their interior for the most part. We know for a fact that like based on seven games of tape, the edge is a real problem here." We're going to do a lot to help out our, our, our young or lack of talent tackles uh, with scheme and with personnel. And you know, some, somebody asked us via email, hey, like, do you guys think you were wrong about the offensive line matchup as far as Florida State's first Syracuse's? And, you know, in some ways, I think, yeah, like I, I think Florida State blocked them better on the interior. But a lot of it was Florida State out schemed Syracuse and Syracuse was not able to make Florida State pay for that. Uh, I, I think Syracuse blitzed too much in this game, to be honest, and 
probably should have sat back a little bit more uh, when when there were these these max protection uh, schemes. And nice job by the coaching staff to literally say, okay, what's the one thing in this game that can get us beat from a Syracuse defensive perspective? It's probably those guys tearing off the edge and blowing us up. All right, we're going to take away that the best we can, and let's see if they can beat us doing anything else. And they couldn't. And that's a nice job of actual coaching and scheming. So good job there, Florida State staff. Nice job there. And before we transition to uh, looking at the defense, do want to give a quick tip of the hat to Trey McKitty. A uh, really nice day from him. Gotten really evolved quite positively as a blocker. Uh, when you when you sit there and you watch him drive uh, Robinson's rear into the ground, uh, you got a, had a pretty good feeling as to what the outcome of the game might be. And, hey, we've uh, asked for it, and we saw it. He broke a nice little tackle, ended up getting another 15, 18 yards out of the play. And uh, if you have a, a bourbon or two and you squint your eyes real hard when Trey McKitty's running the ball, it's almost uh, it almost reminds you of one Greg Jones. So uh, kind of indicative of the freak that, <laughs> that Greg Jones was, that it takes a 270-pound tight end to, to kind of give you that look again. Uh, but, yeah, nice day for McKitty, and he's evolved pretty nicely uh, over the course of the year and a, a significant uptick in what he's done as a blocker. I think that's pretty much all I have for uh, for the offense. Oh, good to see uh, Jordan Young get in there, the abusement park, and make a really nice catch. Uh, I mean, look, they're down Keyshawn Helton, and, and they're down Ontario Wilson. And when I think Keyshawn and Ontario, the two things I think are not necessarily the freakiest of athletes, although they are really athletic guys, but I think dependability. Uh, and I don't know that you're going to be able to, to fill that dependability hole in this – like in this season. But I do think there's a possibility that you can get some, uh, some more explosiveness out there with some of these young guys. And I'm, uh, I'm, I'm definitely, definitely excited about that. You want to talk a little defense? Let's transition to the defense. And uh, I started my you way want to through tell this. people what it says on, on our sheet. Yeah, I was going to say, I started my way through this at the beginning of the episode, Syracuse, really bad. Uh, Syracuse's offense in absolute train wreck so we'll uh we'll let matthew <laughs> blurt some of that out we'll but that. uh <laughs> yeah. it is oh woo boy uh we, we were we thought they might be a poor unit this was uh this was was yikes on almost every play when you got starters just up and quitting <laughs> on, on a friday before the game I'm like no nah, i'm good i don't even go down tell i don't think i want to play actually uh I'm like, man, I would go down there because you like you can block Florida State's ends. It's not like they got guys who are real threats to rush the passer off the edge too much. Tommy DeVito was 20 of 33 for 151 yards. Um, when you count the six six sacks in there, 3.31 yards per attempt. About the only thing that Syracuse did well uh, was not uh, not turn the football over. I guess their success rate uh, by quarter. 10% in the first quarter, so not really coming out with a bang. 32% second quarter, again, not very good. Latter, you know, like garbage time, they were able to put up some yards. But Florida State had a legitimate, a pretty pretty huge advantage in terms of yards per play in this game. A lot of it was driven not by some insane effort from Florida State's offense, although they did meet our goal, uh, but largely because they, they made Syracuse's offense look – I mean, was that the worst Syracuse offense performance of the year? I don't know. I'm going to go back and look here to see what their uh, what their grade was. 
Yeah. Wow. They they uh, so on the percentile performances, they had an eight percent offensive grade against Clemson, and they actually had only a six six percent. Uh, so Syracuse definitely has a lot of work to do after having a, a throwing up a six six uh, percent as far as offensive grade. That's not uh, not really what you want to do there. I thought Stanford Samuels had a good game. Uh, Homsen Azraldin is just everywhere and is playing really well. That's uh, that's that's really nice to have. I watched this. I'm like, all right. So the defensive line, especially the interior guys, are eating. That's awesome. And I don't really have like another really big takeaway on this defense other than this. I, they were more aggressive than I thought they would be, and then maybe actually I thought they should be, but it did work out. So it's kind of annoying, really annoying, in fact, to see Bill Connolly tweeting today about how if if Virginia just had even like an, a below-average offense as opposed to a terrible one, it would be running away with the Coastal Division. And I'm sitting here thinking, oh, well, huh. I, I know a defense that just let them have five yards a pop and never challenged them at all to make explosive plays down the field, which they never do. Um, interesting that this defense is now taking and being a lot more aggressive, blitzing more, some of it out of necessity, obviously, after losing Josh Kando uh, and, and losing losing Jaden Woodby. But, man, I, I'm just like, really? Like, this is this is what we're doing now? But I'm okay with it. Now, this upcoming weekend, I've got some mixed thoughts on what they should do. A lot of that is going to be quarterback dependent, um, but but very interested to see how this will all play out. And, and a really nice job by, by the defense. It, it continues to round into form. Um, of course, if you had told me in the preseason, hey, this defense is going to be 62nd after eight games, I would be like, yeah, I I, I don't think that's like that's that's real bad. So no. All right, Darren, let's say that you and your spouse have the general terms agreed upon. Did you know that your property division issues are not modifiable? Travis Johnson knows. Travis is a board-certified family law attorney, one of only 280 out of more than 110,000 attorneys in the state with over a decade of experience. Of the Metter and Johnson law firm, Travis Johnson knows that each each case is unique, and he has the experience to handle your specific situation with the care it deserves, whether that's divorce, division of property, alimony, child support, enforcing the terms of an existing order, Any of those type of things, you want an expert on your side. You want to get it done right. You want to get it done the first time. 850-435-9919 for Travis Johnson of the Metter and Johnson Law Firm. Um, want to give a quick uh, notice to uh, to old Big Robert Cooper's game continues to progress nicely. Florida State's going to be looking desperately for defense alignment. He's certainly grown into uh, into being a potential game changer for next year and a kid who's uh, you see a, a small amount of improvement, at least situationally, seemingly every game. Uh, Amari Gaynor, still really raw, uh, but you can just see the level of athlete out there and uh, a guy that will feature prominently next year. So uh, it's nice to see. I believe Deloach got his first series of snaps. Uh Really liked what I saw out of Raymond Woody the third, uh, fluid athlete, good angles. Uh, so some of the some of the freshmen or first time uh, performers, uh, nice to see, and uh, a good day overall for a unit that's uh, really kind of finding its stride as the season goes on. Absolutely, and then this is you know a really nice blowout game. Um, so Florida State's last uh, last five ACC games. Right, I, I was I was thinking about this because the Virginia game they, they didn't play well and they really. That game was the score. I think was closer than the actual game. They deserved to lose that by double digits. 
Louisville, legitimate double-digit type win, right? NC State, legitimate two-touchdown type win. Clemson? Very glad we played Louisville where we did on the schedule. I don't mean to interrupt you, but uh, uh, glad they're not two weeks from now. Let me put it that way. I think so, too. Uh, Like, I think they are getting better, for sure. But I... They've also played some, you know, some some weaker opponents. I mean, some of whom we've lost to, but we matched up fairly well with them. You know, in terms of like making them throw and and our our interior three guys being really nice against what they had on the offensive line. Um, like if they line that up today, I think Florida State would beat them again, even though Louisville's playing better for sure. I think Virginia's offense is regressing a little bit, by the way. Um, so Clemson legitimate five touchdown loss. Wake Forest, legitimate one-point loss. I mean, you weren't really unlucky to lose that game as much. It was just kind of how we thought within a certain number of points it would go. Syracuse, actually, if you take this and you take out the garbage time, 33 points better on the adjusted scoring margin. That that tracks pretty positively, man. This is This team is getting better. So, anyway, uh... I think that's kind of all we have on the defense. The show's going fairly long, I guess. But uh, we, we do want to share this one item from uh, from Scott Frost, a coach who a lot of people want to compare Willie Taggart to. I think that's both fair and unfair in some regards. Uh, they're both second-year coaches. They both were the first class to go through the early signing period, which is a, a major hindrance. They're both struggling somewhat, um, and they both had different expectations, right? People are like, oh, why don't, why don't people talk about Scott Frost? And I think a lot of times they immediately go to the race thing, which might have something to do with it, but also, like, Nebraska doesn't have the same quick rebuild expectations that Florida State does, and the head coaches set different expectations for themselves when they got there, uh, mostly, I think, because Willie misevaluated the players that he had on the team and Frost seems to have nailed his about how long that rebuild was going to take. Although privately, I guess he had told people this year that he felt real good. Uh, Frost that is about the team in the preseason and they, they don't, they don't look better at all. Uh, but uh, Indiana went in there and beat them. And yes, Nebraska does not have its starting quarterback and that's a fairly big deal because Martinez is a good football player. Uh, but uh, Indiana was talking about all the, have you seen this, all, all the motivation that, uh, that Indiana had. Yeah. So this is from Crimson Quarry. I'll read it off here. What was that motivation? Well, per a couple sources around the conference, Frost had allegedly raised complaints that Nebraska's schedule was too difficult <laughs> and that they should play Indiana more. Um, do you feel like Nebraska's schedule is too difficult? I I, I don't really. I feel like they uh they should not play Indiana more. They they get to play in the Big Ten West. They don't like that's why apparently he was saying Indiana by name, and that got posted up in Indiana's locker room that Scott Frost thought they should have an easier schedule and they should be able to play Indiana more often. Indiana goes in there and beats them. I thought that was that was pretty interesting. It's a uh, it's a strange comment to make, and it's a, a strange comment to make from a guy who's uh, who's not a stranger to kind of strange uh, meathead comments. Now, I do think that. Um, yeah, there's certainly a component of race in that, but I also think like Scott Frost is a native son, and when I say that, I don't mean like oh he's just from Nebraska. No, he's from 
basically a suburb of Lincoln, Nebraska, um, went to, went to university of Nebraska, won a national championship. He, he's, he's a, just a little bit of a different situation than Willie. Uh, when you look at the emotional heartstrings that are tied directly to the program, uh, that he's coaching, but he's a guy who's, uh, made some some dumb comments is a little bit of a i'll say at times kind of tone deaf uh to certain situations and uh also a guy who you're right in set expectations at a different level uh but is starting to have his own kind of real uh shortcomings this year and, and is receiving a line of questions that uh he didn't in year one and it's interesting to watch because you're right the two are uh, so very closely tied together, and Taggart and Frost, uh, at least many in this fan base's uh, opinion, will always kind of be somewhat juxtaposed to the level of success that they have. Yeah, there, there's, there's no doubt about it. Um, I, I just, I don't, they, they don't seem to be getting better this year, like that much defensively and offensively. Um, obviously, like that was expected to be the real strength, and, and without uh, without Martinez, they're not playing. All that well. He also made that real meathead comment about. Did, did you see this about how he doesn't like players uh, wearing a hoodie while he was wearing a hoodie? Yeah, that in was a press conference. That was that was one of the kind of kind of tone deaf comments that I was referencing there. It's just a strange look, and uh, again, a guy who's going to get away a lot because he's because he's Scott Frost, and he brought success to a university that so uh, was so desperate for it at the time, but. Uh, yeah, make some make some pretty dumb comments from time to time. I got to tell you, I'm uh, I'm really excited about our our uh, our Miami preview. I think I've got a got a good guest lined up, and they're really gonna gonna have some fun with this. I, I, I almost like kind of struggled to put together tonight's show in some ways. I was like, man, I really just wish it was you know, Wednesday night or Thursday night, whenever we're gonna do that, or Thursday morning or whatever, and uh, and we could just go ahead and and get and get, and get to it, you know. Um, but uh, but yeah, I'm I'm really excited to, to do that. I really appreciate everybody listening to the show and, and spreading a good word. Our numbers keep going up, and we're very excited about that. All right, y'all. We'll talk to you uh, next uh, later in the week for Miami preview. Uh, as Bud said, look forward to discussing that game and the rest of the season. Thank you again for your listenership. <laughs>